Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January 2nd, 2013, and we are reading from the big book, Chapter 7, Working with Others. We are at page 92, the first full paragraph, beginning, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic. The readers for today, in the order they will be reading, are Michelle, Carol P., Sharon, Fran, and Judy B. The share codes from yesterday, Tuesday, January 1st, and there are three share codes today. For the big book study, the share code is 3600. For speaker number one, Amy, Freedom from the Four Horsemen, the share code is 3601. For speaker number two, Joe, a simple solution for a simple problem, the share code is 3602. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne-Marie to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive leaders and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you, Anne-Marie. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Margaret Kay. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the early requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group ought to be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend an OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such are never be organized, but we may create service boards or cops or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name will never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that that you limit your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the Big Book, Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 92, beginning with the first full paragraph, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic. I will ask Michelle to begin reading. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't, at this stage, refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him possibly he can. 
if he is not too alcoholic, but insists that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Um, I'm going to focus on that second sentence. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. And um, that brings me back to the time when you know I had been in OA for for five years, and I had been um, I had been abstinent off and on. I'd had a long period of abstinence, two and a half years, but I had not gone through all the steps. I had not been presented with the solution that's here in the big book. And I remember those queer mental um, con- that queer mental condition when things would pop into my head. I, I was abstinent because I was like a dry drunk, and I was stark raving abstinent. And I would have these thoughts of um, the one that took me back down into the a long-term spiral before I was presented with this information was the thought that after getting through um, the funeral, uh, after my dad died suddenly, and um, all the chaos with the um, you know dysfunction of the family, um, and had been abstinent, there sat a platter that had my binge food on it. I had this brilliant idea that um, knowing I could not eat that without um, it setting off that physical allergy and the craving, but my mind said, you know, if you put a little protein with that, um, you put a little protein with that refined carbohydrate, you're going to be okay. And I did, and I thought I was okay, but I wasn't. I had triggered that physical allergy, and I was start. I started off once again on this spiral that lasted seven months, and then coming out, um, being three days, three days abstinent. The words of the big book, on page 24, I heard from my my then sponsor, um, and it says the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And that tells me that my willpower will never, ever be stronger than that mental obsession that I have with this disease and that, those words were um, a defining moment for me in those three days of being abstinent. And hearing those words for once, I, I believed it. I, I, I embraced it, that I had this mental obsession. And then, and then at the bottom of the page, um, what really resonated for me, when this sort of thinking is fully established in that individual with alcoholic tendencies that, you know, oh, what's the heck, what's the use once I get into that spiral? that he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, beyond human aid. Finally, I heard those words. I was ready to surrender, that I was ready to hear the message that there is a solution and it isn't me. Um, I I need a power greater than myself. Um, Those words often bring tears to my eyes because it was such a defining moment for me to hear those, and I was so grateful that... um, that someone cared enough to carry that message to me and and continued to carry that message to me until I was ready to hear it. Um, And I was ready that day. I was ready to hear it. It, Those words still resonate. I am beyond human aid with the mental obsession. My willpower, like it says, it's um, 
prevent normal functioning of the willpower. And um, that's what that paragraph is saying to me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Press star one to unmute. Hi, Justina, ringing from London. I'm sorry, Justina. Uh, Justina? Justina, yeah. good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, Justine recovered uh, compulsive Rita. Um, you know, I had to be satisfied for myself, and I have to remember that that you know I was a real, you know, a real compulsive overeater, as it says here. And um, this relation what's been shared already about the, you know, the the um, the queer mental condition surrounding it. And uh, you know, I, you know, it's it's really hard. You know, one has to be convinced of oneself that that you've actually got that, and trying to convey that to another compulsive overeater can be difficult. Uh, but you know that was what did it you know did it for me and something that you know I try to convey is you know referring them back to um, the passage that's just previously been read you know as you know and um, you know that normal functioning just doesn't exist you know even you know um, when it comes to um, my, my thoughts around food and then setting off that you know uh, physical allergy of compulsive overeating. But as it says here, it's really important that you know I can you know, share my experience, but that that particular person has to come to their own conclusion, just as I did. Um, you know, and again, for, it took me a long time to be convinced because I, you know, had the idea that I could still control my, you know, my eating. You know, and um, it took you know for me to be bludgeoned by the food for me to actually realise that you know I was com- you know completely powerless over food and you know um, and beyond human aid, as has already been said. You know, um, uh, what says. You know, and this thing about being severely afflicted, you know, for me, I was severely afflicted and, you know, I was, you know, hopeless, you know, it says, um, see, we all begin to dwell on a hopeless feature of a malady and it took me a long time to be convinced I was actually, you know, hopeless, you know, but the food, again, you know, um, got me into a sense of sense of state of reasonableness and being hopeless and from there you know I tried everything I was in OA for a while and I was trying every food plan going but like it's already been said I didn't actually work the steps as the solution as outlined in this big book and it was only when my my last binge and I was you know really wanted to die I was dying inside and I really wanted to die and my sponsor at the time said you've tried everything else now do you want to try working the steps and it never even occurred to me. I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but you know, at that point, I was, you know, I was, I was desperate basically, and as desperate as a dying can be, as it says in the big book, I was willing to go to any lengths to, you know, for victory over compulsive overeating and to have a spiritual experience. So I did work the steps um, with her, and well and behold, as it says, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. You know, uh, we you know tried to carry as much stuff as possible for readers, and the message I had to carry was that this works. You know, uh, where all else failed, no, nothing else worked for me a day at a time for long periods. You know, I. The longest probably period of abstinence I had from compulsive overeating before, you know, recovery was, you know, about a year. And then after that, you know, it was always back in the food. And, um, and But this has worked a day at a time for several years, you know, and it is for me the only solution that I have to offer. And when I sponsor, I make it very clear that, you know, this is the solution I have to offer is, is these, you know, 12 steps. And sometimes I have sponsees who want something else for me, but I have to keep conveying it back to this is what has worked for me, you know, and it is, you know, these the steps, you know, as outlined in the big book. 
um, and I'm you know truly grateful. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Justina. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Leah. Leah, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So now we're in Chapter 7 working with with others, which teaches me how to sponsor. So it's telling me here, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So I'm going to begin to focus on this hopeless feature. What is my hopeless feature? The hopeless feature of this malady, I have a twofold disease, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. Allergy of the body, it's a problem, and it's a bad problem. But it's not my worst problem. I mean, if I have an allergy, I just eliminate that substance and I'm done. You know, for instance, my daughters are allergic to fish, to tuna. They just don't eat tuna. You know, they don't have to go to Tuna Anonymous and talk about not eating tuna. But you see, I, in addition to having an allergy of the body, the greater aspect to my disease is this obsession of the mind. So in speaking with this compulsive overeater, I'm going to begin to dwell, to focus, to highlight that facet of my illness. I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus, dwell on this hopeless feature of the malady. Show him. I'm going to show him. I'm going to talk to that woman, uh, compulsive overeater, that man, from my own experience, not somebody else's experience. This is not coming from a textbook. It's not coming from something I read about somebody else. This is from my own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink, the big book is teaching me here, it is the first drink that prevents normal functioning of the willpower. It's that queer mental condition surrounding the first drink which prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So I'm going to start honing in on the insanity of my disease. I'm not going to use the text at this point. All I'm doing is using my experience. And I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that this occurs even while I am abstinent. I am I am cold I am stone cold sober. There is no substance that I'm allergic to in my body at all at this point. It all resides in my mind because at some point, even during abstinence, at some point the thought will come to my mind that picking up that first bite is the best idea I've had all along. And, you know, the big book is has taught me that I'm unable at certain times to bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of a week or, or a month ago or even yesterday. Somehow I can't remember uh, the humiliation. Somehow I can't remember the tears. Somehow I can't remember the torture. Somehow I can't remember the threats of divorce. Somehow I can't remember that. I can't remember that the night before I went to bed crying and pleading with God and vowing and making a resolution that I am never going to binge my brains out again. I'm not going to live this way again. I want to be free. I want to be I I want to have a life. Somehow I can't remember that. The only thing I remember is the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once after I take a few bites. That is the insanity. My pain has no memory. 
the real problem centers in my mind telling me it's okay to pick up that first bite rather than in my body that ensures that I can't. That is what I'm going to hone in on because this person has probably tried numerous methods and remedies to, to stop compulsive overeating. Why can't she stay stopped? And it's that facet of my story that's going to start to come forward. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Who else would like to share on what was read? It's Monica. Monica, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Ditto, ditto to what Leah just said. I'm going to go down a little further there. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusions. You know, um, I used to hear, a person convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And this reminded me on page 31, the third paragraph, down. It says, we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly try it more than once. So they're, they're telling us here, be very, very careful when you have a new person here. You know, we're, you, you don't want to spook them or scare them off. You know, we're, we're trying to reel them in here with our, um, um, with our experience that we're sharing with them, like Leah just did, of, of that mental twist that we have, that um, uh, obsession of the mind that tells us it's, this is just the best idea we had all in a long time to pick up something again. It says, let him figure this out for himself. You know, don't brand him something. Because, you know, if I was told, uh, you know, we as, uh, as these type of people hate to be told what we are or what to do, you know, that slams the door shut immediately. Let him, so let him draw his own conclusion. And hopefully in telling about my hopelessness with this disease, this person will be able to identify, you know, and start thinking, you know, I do that same thing, you know. I, I don't remember putting my hand on the hot stove. Well, why is it, you know? My, my thinking will tell me, well, you know, maybe this time if I use my elbow instead, maybe I won't get burned. And this is what we want them to do to be able to identify and as a sponsor, you know, this is our biggest asset that we understand this, that we have experienced this, that we know this, and we can share with these people what has happened to us as a result of doing these 12 steps, that there is a solution, that there is a way out, and it's not totally hopeless. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. This is Victoria. I'd like to share on what was read, Compulsive Overeater, Recovered. Uh, this, this entire chapter um, is filled with very specific directions. It just, I marvel at the care and the specificity and the concreteness that was given to tell us how to carry the message the order of 
telling what we talk about and how we talk about it. And over the years in recovery, I have gone back to this chapter over and over again looking for answers. When issues came up with a sponsee, with a newcomer, looking for direction, looking for for good orderly direction because it's in this chapter. And in the chapter um, and in this paragraph specifically, I learned that my experience, which was so humiliating and so agonizing, is once again going to be the very thing which allows me to be of help to the still-suffering compulsive overeater in a way that nothing else can be. It is that experience, no matter how far down the scale I have gone, I will, I will see how my experience can benefit others. That promise is realized in carrying the message. It makes me uniquely able to be of assistance. But in doing that, this chapter also makes it clear that I am as powerless over their disease as I am over my own. And, and it warns me to refrain from zeal or argument. I do not proclaim anyone an alcoholic. It reminds me that I carry the message from a place of humility. I don't play God. And I don't argue with my sponsees. I don't argue with a newcomer. Um, it's very clear. And grasping the obsession of the mind requires such an enormous leap. Um, Certainly, I myself and so many people that I've sponsored and worked with over time have the idea that once I've gone through withdrawal, which is the worst part, I'm kind of on easy street because that's where the real difficulty is resolved. And once I'm through withdrawal, you know, the big work is behind me. And grasping the obsession of the mind, which this paragraph lets us know must be front and center in the message we carry, becomes so critical. And without continuing on an ongoing basis to read and review these chapters so that I can talk about the nature of the obsession of the mind in a way that is intelligible to the newcomer. I'm not able to do that. Um, there are too many, other, too many other things that can fill my mind and that can make that message cloudy unless I keep going back to the book looking for answers in this chapter, in this paragraph, when I experience questions or conundrums and reaching out to the newcomer or sponsoring. So with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share?
Anyone else like to share what was read on this paragraph? Well, let's continue on then to the next paragraph. Carol P., would you read, please? Um, Yes. Good morning, Carol P., compulsive overeater. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. Excuse me. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. And briefly, I'd just like to share, um, you know, just looking over some of the words, um, you know, identifying with this person. Illness, fatal malady, doomed, predicament, hopelessness, uh, a condition of mind and body here. Um, where I, I'm identifying with this person, and um, then it, and then you know the solution on the other side. You know, there's a solution. I'm going to talk about how I got well, and if this person is willing to ask, I'm going to tell exactly how that happened. Um, and it says here, stress the spiritual feature freely. I know, you know, this person. We're identifying with this person about what the problem is, and here is the solution, a spiritual solution. And um, so important, and it was important to me um, about uh, my own conception. It didn't have to be anyone else's. Um, that and you know the willingness to believe in a power greater than myself. <laughs> and um, you know, talking about how this program rescued me from the gates of hell, um, where I was, where that one that person once was, and now I am restored. Uh, mind and body is restored. I'm um, just a, a very, very rich uh, paragraph here. Uh, thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Carol. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Paula Mashia. Yes, Paula. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Thank you. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. Wow. I, I'm just, you know... On the paragraph before, it was just hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. You had to let them know how much, how hopeless it was to then say that there is a hope and to then continue on. And, you know, here we say, keep his attention focused. There it is. His attention focused on your personal experience. Again, you know, those. let him draw his own conclusion. You know, it's so amazing to me that, here, surrounding that first drink on that paragraph before, you're surrounded, buddy. You begin, you're done. You begin, you're done. 
And yet, here again is a new beginning. And this is what we're showing him. By showing him what he is living with by our own lives, our own experience. He sees us before him. He sees what we are before him. And then he says here clearly, let him ask you that question, if he will. And the the line before that, ooh, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Oh, listen, after all that, you, you know, remember that part where he was surrounded? Wait a minute. Is there a pot? Is there a place here where I can get out? Where I can have hope? And curious, and you know, curious, yes, curious indeed. Curiosity killed a cat. But let me tell you, satisfaction brought him back. And here you're telling him exactly what happened to you. Now, here you fill in all the details. You know, he's drawn his own conclusions. You're giving him the details. But that part, stress the spiritual feature freely. Don't be afraid here. Here we're asking God. We're being led by God himself. Yet, if that man is agnostic or the atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. There another place for him if he has no other place. And then it ends with, and I'm going to end here, the main thing. And there it is. That's the main thing. Is that he be willing. There it is. That's all. That part. He be willing. But what a huge, may I say, step that is. To believe in a power greater than himself. And that he live by spiritual principles. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to share on what was just read? Yes, this is Catherine. I'd like to share. Hello, this this is Miriam from Jerusalem. This is Katie. All right, Catherine, Miriam, and Katie. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, hi, good morning. Yeah, I yeah, I'm struck by the words stress the spiritual feature freely. And if the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. And I'm looking back on, on page 12 where it says, and it's in italics, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. And this is from Bill's story. I saw that growth could start from that point upon a foundation of complete willingness I might build what I saw in my friend and uh, I'm I'm always thinking about willingness surrender and willingness and for the agnostic or atheist and working with them and of course to have Bill's story as backup and his his, um, working the, the program so this program is for everyone and uh, we do not have to agree with our, each individual conception of God, but to have that higher power and to have direction outside of ourselves, to get out of our self-centeredness, our selfishness, self-sufficiency, and to get into God-reliance. And that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. <clears throat> uh, Miriam, go ahead, please. Uh, Hi, my name is Miriam. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It was so amazing when Catherine talked. I, I just opened the book 
on page 12, and I wanted to emphasize another sentence where Abby said to him, to Bill, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And then he says, that statement hit me hard. It melted the ice. Intellectual emotion of, I won't read more, but it was so, it is it's so interesting that this book is really telling us the experience of those who wrote the book, and, he's tell, and they are telling now in this chapter, tell him your experience. This is what they tell us in the book. This was Bill's experience, really, that he can choose the God he wants to choose. And this is so, so good for me to read this again and to hear this again and to know that I cannot... I cannot impose my God to any sponsee. Everybody can choose his God as he understands him. And thank you very much. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Miriam. Go ahead, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater recovered today. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, the thing about this whole chapter is it's uh, followed from... Uh, Step 11, we're in step 12, carrying the message to the other compulsive overeater who still suffers. And the purpose is so that we continue to stay uh, abstinent ourselves. We can't forget where we came from. And it's easy to get on this spiritual high and the spiritual plane of thinking, you know, and soon that can circle back around to thinking, well, you know, was it really that bad? How bad was my life? So that's why it's so important to do what this says. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely because especially for us as compulsive overeaters who are recovering and we're around food all the time, the main thing people say to me is, wow, you have so much willpower. Well, the purpose of this is to say it has nothing to do with willpower. In fact, I am so lacking willpower, I am completely dependent upon God. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Um, and you can, you know, you don't have to say, you need to come to church with me or you need to go to synagogue with me. That's not what we do. Our, our spiritual relationship is every morning when we roll out of bed onto our knees and give our day to God. Um, and in doing that, we are given the opportunity uh, to share our recovery. If someone wants to know, why do you live the way you live? We have to be willing to do that. Um, and in doing that, so many people, when they first come in but, or first see us, they, uh, they have perhaps never uttered the words of what is going on in their sick head. They have possibly never met someone who thinks the way they do. And this is just so uh, eye-opening and you know, as, as you may recall, when you went to your first meeting or you talked to someone for the first time, um, you know, that other people think this crazy way that we do about food and about life, um, that, you know, you don't see that on TV. And so we have to remember that these people, whether they look like they definitely belong in our rooms or whether they can be a normal weight. I've met a lot of people that are normal weight that have this mental obsession, and they don't talk about it. 
and it's such a freeing feeling for them. And so we are opening the door by telling them exactly what happened to us. And in so doing, I stay absent one more day. I think that'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Who else would like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Amy. Hi, my name is Lynn. Good morning, Amy. Go ahead, please. And then Lynn. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You know, it says earlier in the book, you know, this idea that the alcoholic or the compulsive overeater presently may be or or will be be able to continue to eat or drink normally, it has to be smashed in. They use that word smashed in, that that is something that will never happen. And when I share my story and the hopelessness of that story, it has to be smashed in that they not only empathize and understand and start to see, that they start to see the powerlessness if, if they, don't even, they don't already know that's what's going on. The reasons why doctors are loath to do it is because if they're not a compulsive overreader, they can't, they can't show the story because the, the person they're talking to won't listen. You know, people told me left and right to stop eating, but I didn't listen until I heard someone share, as they say, my story, when I heard them talk about things that they did with food, that I did with food, that others have said that I'd never told anyone before. But the reason why they continue to say in the big book that we keep talking about our story, our experiences, is so that they can understand, and it is smashed in, that this is hopeless. There is no middle-of-the-road solution. They're going to have just two solutions here. You know, where it talks about on page 25, at the bottom of the paragraph, they're either going to have to pick up this kit of spiritual tools that we're going to lay at their feet, or they're going to keep eating until oblivion, or the gates of insanity or death. Those are going to be the two options. So we continue to hit home this idea of our own personal powerlessness, hoping that they will catch on to that, that there will be only two options, that there is no middle-of-the-road solution. Because when they start to come and talk, when we start to talk about the spiritual solution, it won't matter whatever the solution is. They're just going to want it, just like I did. Because I was firmly agnostic, but it was smashed home to me that I was a compulsive overeater, that I had no hope of my own will. And it didn't matter if it was God, Buddha, or the universal vibes of a tree. I knew my own personal powerlessness. And that's what I had to understand, that I could grasp onto something outside of myself, as long as it wasn't me, that I would no longer be able to rely on my self-will to deal with this disease. And the person talking to me about recovery, what I heard in the meeting was a solution that was my only solution and my only option. And I would take it like a drowning person would take a life preserver, that I would take that. Did I grasp the whole concept, the whole spiritual concept? No, I didn't. But it didn't matter because John Barleycorn and Sarah Lee were my best advocate. I wasn't too much pain to care whatever the solution was. However it was, I just wanted the solution. And when they start talking about, about that spiritual, spiritual solution, it just is very open and it's very interpretive to the person. And that's all needed to be laid at their feet at this point. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thanks, Amy. Go ahead, please, Lynn. Hi, my name is Lynn. I'm a compulsive reader. And the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. This is one of the things that I have experienced is the most difficult for me. I have no trouble at all believing in a higher power who I choose to call God. But the living by the spiritual principles is is difficult because I forget that part. And I, it just strikes me as we're reading this again, and, you know, it's talking about helping the other compulsive overeater. And one of the things that I really need to focus on myself so that I can give it to others is that living by spiritual principles. And often I get stuck because I can read the steps and it says these are the principles that we live by. And sometimes I'm not so clear exactly what that principle is in the step. So for me, I'm so happy to be reading this and I'm really appreciating the sharing today because I'm finding it particularly strong and focused. And hopefully it'll help me get straight too so that I can help the next person who comes along. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Lynn. This is Victoria. I'd like to compulsive of, uh, recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to comment briefly on the first sentence of that paragraph. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. It, this this paragraph, this passage tells me I can't let that disease concept of compulsive overeating ever slip off the center that it needs. I need to continue to stress it is an illness because so many of us, when we encounter someone who has recovered, we bring old ideas of character failing, a lack of willpower, um, or simply some inexplicable affliction uh, that happens very mysteriously that causes us to be um, degenerate where food is concerned and the object of ridicule. And this sentence makes it very clear. We continue to stress this is an illness puts it in a whole different territory. And not only is it an illness, it is a fatal illness. In other words, we're not playing around with the flu. We're not playing around with something that, given enough time and simple care, will resolve on its own. We're talking about a condition that will literally kill us, that will kill the spirit, that will wipe out in my life all that I most value and love, my dreams, um, my relationships. That word fatal, um, which begins this paragraph, um, that it is a fatal malady, elevates this disease to a critical level that in my denial which is by definition a part of my disease, I would not face and would not accept. This is a problem. It's a problem that I, if I'm resourceful enough, I can manage it. And this, this passage tells me, no, it's not merely a problem. It is a fatal malady. And with that, I'll pass. 
Would someone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Leah. Yes, this is Anne-Marie. Leah, and then Anne-Marie. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. A power-packed paragraph. Uh, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. So again, the big book is giving me very specific directions as to my dialogue with this uh, compulsive overeater. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. So I'm going to talk about this illness of mine, this fatal malady of mine, this allergy of the body, this obsession of the mind. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. I mean, this book is penned from experience. It is the collective voice, the collective wisdom of those who blaze the trail. And actually, it's coming from Bill Wilson's experience because Bill Wilson, for the first six months of his sobriety, he was grabbing people by the shirt collar off for the bar stools and preaching to them about honesty and preaching to them about God and preaching to them about spiritual principles like selflessness and love. And you know what? <laughs> the drunks didn't care. The drunks didn't care. Nobody bought the package. Nobody bought the package. And so it was Dr. Silkworth, our medical saint, that said, you know what, Bill? You've got to turn that strategy around. You've got to crack those tough egos deep down. You've got to deflate them. And how do you deflate them? Well, you give them, you, you give them the business about the obsession of the mind that condemns them to keep drinking. And you give them the business about the physical allergy, that allergy of the body that condemns them to go mad or die if they keep drinking. You got to do that. You got to you can't put the cart before the horse. You've got to deflate those egos. So that's where this information's coming from. It's coming from experience. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. That's what I'm going to do first because I'm trying to catch fish here. I'm trying to reel them in. How am I going to reel them in? It says Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. You see, I have this dark past. I've shared a lot of that with you. But the big book tells me that that dark past that I have is the greatest possession that I have. You know, I have a beautiful house. Thank God I live in a wonderful community. I have clothes to wear. I have an abundance of food on my table. But the greatest possession that I have is this dark past. Why is that? It is because it's the key to life and happiness for other people. That's what my book says. So I'm going to utilize this dark past of mine, the part of my life that I couldn't stand, because now that that turns out to be the special gift that I have to give the next person. So it says, keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed. So I'm going to talk about it. I'm I'm going to help smash that delusion. And it says here, but you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You know, I've been a compulsive overeater since I was a little kid, and I certainly did not know what I was up against, and I certainly didn't understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I came here destroyed. 
I came here destroyed. But I engaged in this process of the steps, and having had a spiritual awakening and having been restored to sanity, I now have soundness of mind. And I've been relieved of that obsession for that first bite, and I've been freed from the beast and from the mayhem that I experienced for almost two decades because I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless condition of mind and body. I've had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. That's the solution that I have to offer. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Hi, this is Anne-Marie, Recovery Compulsive Eater. Um, Yeah, this chapter is just filled with instructions. I highlighted my all the instructions in green and this chapter here has lots of highlights in green, lots and lots. Um, what really jumped out at me was the main thing that he willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual uh, principles. And um, I listened to Holland, if anyone um, has not had a chance, uh, great speaker and the questions and answers afterwards were great. Um, and uh, he shares his experience with the God of his understanding, and I'd like to share my experience with my God of my understanding um, that I needed to change. I learned of a new and wonderful God when I came into program, when I started studying uh, the 12 steps and, and um, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I had to get a, a God that was loving and kind, not the condemning God. And so that needed to change for me. And on page 51 in We Agnostics, um, the top of the page here, it says, when uh, many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important fact of their life, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. And, and like Leah was saying earlier, I mean, a hundred people wrote this book, and they're saying in this paragraph here that the most important uh, fact of their life is a God. You know, the presence of God is what is most important to them. And so, I need to make sure that the I needed to make sure that the God that was present in my life was a loving, kind, compassionate God. And I, you know, he also um, Harlan also. Well, I think it was in the question and answer period following his uh, talk about how um, you know he needed to um, to change, like like I did, to have a loving and kind God, and um, I just that was just pointed out that was just um, uh, pointed out to me. But um, I'm just so appreciative that today that I had that loving and kind God, and that I was willing um, willing to make that change. Thanks. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Anyone else care to share on that paragraph before we close? This is Barrett from Israel. Barrett, go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning. This is Barrett, a recovered compulsive over from Jerusalem. Um, it's so amazing to me how smart this paragraph is. First of all, we are directed to speak about the malady, about the disease, the illness not as doctors, as people who are sick, just like the one we're talking to, and expressing our own um, experience. 
And then we're supposed to talk about the part that we cannot ignore if we want to heal, which is we suppose each one of us is supposed to find a power greater than ourselves. And again, we are supposed to talk again from our own experiences, not as uh, preachers or rabbis, just again as someone who's sick. And when I'm sick, and that was such a relief to discover that I have an illness and that there is a solution to this illness. And I'm told that this is a must. I must find a, a power greater than myself. And now, okay, so if I hit bottom, and hopefully this person that I'm talking to maybe already hit bottom or very close to, and I share my own experience, and I say, you know, I was in the same position, I and it's true, I did not know who my greater, high, higher power was, but I was told you must search. This is the medicine for this illness. So just search. Search for your own, as, you know, people mentioned before, like Abby said to Bill. You know, it doesn't have to be my conception of God. It can be yours. It's a very, very opening offer. Just go and search. This is a must. The must is there. I'm not talking not as a doctor, not as a priest, not as a rabbi, just as an other very, very sick person was sick then God recovered, but starting from the same point of view, from the same position, and without I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Varen. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sharon, would you read, please? Is Sharon here? Press star one to unmute. Okay, if Sharon is not here, Fran, could you go ahead, please, and read? Yes, good morning, Victoria. This is Fran, Compulsive Overeater, and I know it. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.